Welcome back to the Glue Guys. This is Mike here. Say hello, Bran. Hello. Check us out on Twitter at BK Glue Guys, NetsDaily.com, Almighty Baller, and Brian. Michael. Buddy. We're, it's Play the Nets or Backdrop, if you could. Yeah, I don't have that. Uh, <laughs> we, might have, we might have to retire it after this, after this week. Uh, it's been a little bit rough for your favorite Nets. Uh, they are entering the All-Star break on a seven-game losing streak. Last night's game against the Pacers was particularly frustrating, Brian. Mm. Mm. Um, Tell me about it. I watched the first quarter and the fourth quarter. Um, the meaty part there hit me hit me right in the eye of the storm for Valentine's Day. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I will have to be honest. I was out to dinner throughout most of the game. I... We're then so I was out to dinner in Brooklyn. You're we're a couple. Of, we're a couple of of guys who who go on dates. You know that's what we are. We're just Casanovas, little yeah. husbandy Casanovas. That's what we do. Ugh, Jesus, all right. Is that bad? Um, Ugh, I don't know. So, <laughs> so like I did the, uh, you know, then we my wife and I drove to an ice cream place in Lower East Side. I'm not sure why we did, but I I went without a map, a Google map just so I could watch the Nets game in the car. Wow. And then, of course, I watched it this morning. It's an interesting watch to watch a game like that sort of, you know, after you know that they lost to have to sort of like you're watching this and everything is positive and everything is going in the right direction and the team is doing the right things. And it looks like a win. It looks like it's heading towards, all right, they're going to get the win. And then what seems to be consistently happening to this team as they get to the end of game, somewhere around the four minute mark, it's like the 13th floor of a hotel. Bad things happen. Mm. Bad calls, um, missed plays, bad defense, just something wrong happens on this team. Something goes off. Uh, we have Quincy AC in the game for too long. Uh, we don't have D'Angelo Russell at the in at the end of the game. Uh, things happen where this team just goes off. On the slide. Why do you think this team is not winning basketball, Brian? Well, there's some obvious reasons, and then there's some inobvious reasons, right? The obvious reasons are we've had a pretty significant turnover. If you're taking in consideration not having Ron Dehouse, Jefferson, and Karis Levert for the last, you know, week or two or whatever it is. I mean, Ronde for a while. Like, what's going on with with Ronde? Have we had any updates? This seems like a pretty prolonged groin injury. Well, and I like I went with the conspiracy theory to begin with that he was on the trading block and that the Nets were just handling sort of the trading block injury differently than other teams were. Yeah. They were just saying that the guy was kind of hurt and that they're just putting him out on the sidelines. Where other teams were legitimate, like Marco Bellinelli was told to sit. Tyreek Evans was told to sit because they're going to get traded. Neither of them actually did. And I actually thought the Nets were thinking about trying to get rid of Rondé in some way. Yeah. Yeah, so that's I mean, so these so the, some of the obvious problems you're playing Quincy AC and Dante Cunningham, 32 and 28 minutes perspective, respectively, in a game that you are <clears throat> trying to win, which is a difficult sell. Um, you know, so we're like depleted as we were talking about earlier. You know, there's sort of we've we come we've come to embody this next man up kind of, and I'm using big air quotes here, next man up um, philosophy, but it's it's uh, it's difficult, and especially. 
you know, Zeller and Booker, um, limited players, players we quite liked for their limitations, right? We needed guys who weren't projects, who sort of understood that they've they've reached their plateau in terms of their basketball career. Sometimes it's useful to have a couple guys that understand that they are just cogs in a greater machine, you know, and not and not like, hey, I'm Julie Locafor. I have some potential. Let me exhibit a few of those things, you know, at, at what cost or, and, you know, don't get me wrong, love Jared Allen, but like more conservative player than Jared Allen is still like, I, I mean, like there's nothing like, you know, vehemently wrong with playing Jared Allen big minutes. Um, but yeah, just, I think it's like a big turnover. And, and also we were talking about this, you know, the honeymoon phase is sort of officially over. Um, I kind of liken it to uh, like Wiley e. Coyote, the, the the cartoon, and he's running off the cliff, and like he he keeps going. Uh, the cliff has already ended, and he's just like running on air, and then he only like falls when he when he looks down and realizes that there's no cliff. I feel like that's what this last couple of months have been. <laughs> they've, they've 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 realized that there's no cliff left, and they're playing Dante Cunningham twenty eight minutes. Um, you're falling. So I think it's it's not like cause for major concern. I, I'm, I guarantee people are already like calling for Kenny Atkinson's head or something. Um, and I, I'm obviously not there yet. Um, but yeah, yeah, there's a couple of obvious things going on that, that attribute to this recent skid. Um, I'm not sold on it, like being, you know, a huge problem long-term. Like, I don't think that we're going to bottom out for the rest of the season. I think once we get Levert and Rhonda Hellas Jefferson back up, and once we get D'Angelo Russell to his normal minutes, um, which he still for some reason isn't playing, um, or let's see, how many minutes did he get last night? If he's over thirty, that's so twenty nine. So he's getting there. He's yeah, getting there. But but he was um, out of the game for the most part in the sort of the crucial moments of the game when they needed him. Um, we've been talking about this lightly that Dinwiddie, while we love him and is a tremendous surprise and playing better than anyone could have ever have thought, he still for the most part only delivers assists. And he shoots pretty poorly from the field. That's because he's playing, he's the main ball handler. And when D'Angelo was out, of course, that he had to take on a lot of that scoring load. But there's still an element of, of Spencer Dinwiddie sort of your main output on offense, especially with Rondé being out and D'Angelo being on the bench. Spencer's really not that guy. I don't think, maybe he will be at some point in his career. Maybe he'll fine tune his game a little bit more. You know, I, I will bet on that. But right now, he's not the guy that should be shooting 15 shots a game. He should be putting up more around 10. You know, you're hoping you're for more efficiency with less shots. They just can't afford that. Um, positives here, Alan Crabb is risen from the depths of hell. Is it crab season finally? It's finally crab season. The crabs are crawling out of the ocean. It's mating season for the crabs. Oh, God. They're, what is it, molding? What's the term when they shed their skin? <laughs> molting. Molting. Is that what that? <laughs> I don't know if crabs do that, but he's molting I, right now. Yeah, I know penguins do at the very least. I saw one molting at the. I went to uh, the. Um, what do they call it? An aquarium? Is a zoo? That yeah, an aquarium <laughs> or a zoo. I went to a an habitat, aquarium maybe. in the off season uh, in uh, Coney Island and saw oh, nice. a molting a molting penguin. It's almost a lot like totally recommend going to zoos and uh, aquariums in the winter time. Um, it's the best. I also, if you've ever been to Storm King, me and my buddy hopped the fence on a on an off day in the winter time and just had the whole place to ourselves. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> Storm King, the place where all the mobiles and stabiles are. You know, like the it's like all the um, sculpture art from the seventies. What you never in heard Coney Storm Island? King? It's, it's in uh, upstate New York. It's oh, nice. No. Take the wife some time. Take her take her on a date. And jump a fence with my pregnant wife. Up, up the fence. <laughs> Watch out for the spikes at the top. Um. 
I both of you and I went to Syracuse, and I always found it funny that uh, like zoos in extreme cold weather climates are uh, a strange thing to me because most of the animals that you're getting to be in zoos are from Africa or South America, and mm-hmm. then you're putting them in Syracuse, New York. Like I remember they had. I think it was an elephant. They got a baby elephant or a baby giraffe or a baby big thing that is typically from Africa. Yeah. And then they're like, yes, two months out of the year, it will be outside. But for 10 months out of the year, it's going to be locked essentially indoors in the frozen cold tundra. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's always an exercise in in uh, empathy, you know, the whole the whole experience. It's uh, it gets for the first five seconds of seeing an animal. It's like, well, wow, that's great. And then it's like, oh, but it's here against its will. But it's in Syracuse, <laughs> New York. Uh yeah, so what's Crab doing differently? I don't know. He's making shots. I honestly, I think that's the difference, right? It's are you are you believer that he's lost his conscience? He said some kind of uh, in some article recently that he was like, I, I looked at these other shooters out there and they just don't have a conscience, and I need to be like that. Yeah, has he killed, well, has he killed his ego? I think both of you and I are both believers in th- overthinking is a bad thing. I think we're uh, both cr- criminal overthinkers in life. Uh, I I have to keep my upper th- uh, like I have to keep it at bay. That's why that's why all the substance abuse. That's what's mostly just getting. <laughs> that, was, that was a dark joke. <laughs> it went like woo. That was a Wiley Coyote joke where you look down and then you immediately plummeted yeah. to the depths. Um, like I'm an overthinker on the road. I care too much about what the other drivers are doing when I should just be focused on my lane, man. And that's what Alan Crabb should have been doing this whole time. But he, but you, we could tell. You could tell that he was thinking about every missed shot that he had. Every time he put up a shot that was wide open and it did not go in, there was a look on his face like, "Man, I am not worth nineteen million dollars a year." Um, and now that look is maybe that its look is fading away. He's found his. He's found a smile, as as a um, a Vanderpumper might say. I lost lost my smile last week, but now I found it. You know, <laughs> which Vanderpumper says that. Sheena. Oh, oh, I don't want to talk about Sheena. Sheena. We may need to do a Vanderpump Power Rankings of people you like this season because Ariane is way down in the depths for me. She's having her worst season yet. If you were going to compose, um, speaking of Power Rankings, if you're going to compose a team of these players, who would you choose? You have to have three of them on your team. What's the best combo? Ready? Yes. Lamar Odom, Amari Stoudemire, Greg Oden. Mm Mm-hmm. Carlos Boozer, mm-hmm. Glenn Big Baby Davis. Oh God. <laughs> um, Nate Robinson. Okay, he's on my list. That's a lock. And That's a lock right there. Baron Davis, Ron Artest, T.J. Ford, Meta World Peace. Okay, so I go Nate Robinson, Carlos Boozer, and man, because you like you want a wing, right? You want like a a versatile wing, but that group, all of them are decrepit old men um yeah. maybe i go baron davis because then laura dern's courtside looking fabulous <laughs> she's bringing oh her big God. little lies cast I members god about laura dern's and baron davis dude that how, did that how did i ever forget about that that was the second greatest couple photo i've seen since the obama portrait is that still happening um i don't know it doesn't it doesn't matter anymore it's it's a time capsule it's a moment in time that will <laughs> will forever be able to celebrate unbelievable um, they look so ha- I don't think you could have ever captured a picture of me and my wife ever looking that happy like I, I, or at you know they seem so comfortable and I don't think I've ever <laughs> I don't think I've ever been that way sounds like you got a closer look at it than I did but um... yeah <laughs> maybe I'm looking for something that I don't have put that, put that under the microscope but why did you name those players 
Well, because um, they're they're the newest recruits of well, Lamar Odom is a maybe, um, but they're the newest recruits. <laughs> Constant of, maybe of the big three. Oh, Ice Cube's next big three. Um, I dropped my chapstick. Um, <laughs> That's what that was. <laughs> How yeah. big is your chapstick? <laughs> yeah. It sounded like a hurricane. <laughs> By the way, real quick, we'll get back to the big three. I saw, you know, how there's movie posters above subway entrances. You know, there's ads. Um, I saw an ad for a movie called The Hurricane Heist. It's it's by the producers of Fast and Furious. It's a movie. I imagine from the poster a heist during a hurricane. Mm. Count me in. Sign isn't me that up. just called? Isn't that looting? Okay, you can just like nobody's there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's just looting. As of what happened after the Eagles Super Bowl, yeah. people were looting again. It's a good Anyways. time to loot. Looter's gonna loot. Um, big three. What's your impression of the big three? Um, I'm sold. I think Amari, Baron Davis, and I'm gonna go. Um, sorry, did I say Ron Artest and Meta World Peace? I think I did. Um, yeah. I think Meta World Peace. I just like I just like that combo for me. For that that just meets my because this is gonna be a really. Um, I mean, it's just. Did you watch any of the big three? Yeah, but it, it kept being like a torn hamstring festival. Yeah, I mean, it's a really crusty, a really crusty game. Um, I'm trying to think, like, what sport would be the best to be old-timers? Because, like, really, you know, basketball, we love it because of athleticism. I mean, there's skill involved, but we love it because of the athleticism. Baseball, you probably couldn't tell the difference, but, like, all those guys, their arms would fall off at a certain point. And then football, everyone is, you know. Here's my thinking. Basically, this is going to turn into an elbow jumper festival. That's 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 the <laughs> the forty to fifty year old guy at the YMCA game. So I just want all the best elbow jumpers. You know, I guess maybe Ron Artest doesn't doesn't fill, fulfill that, but also we want a little bit of crazy on the team. Always got to have a little crazy. I think Emmanuel Mudiay should just go right to the big three now. Like, yeah. <laughs> just you know, I, I I think that was a fine trade for the Knicks. Uh, obviously, you know they 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 should want to grow. Frankie Nicotine, uh, but they seem to be focused on also then adding Moutier to the mix. If I'm Manuel Moutier, I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to dominate the big three for the next 10 years. I'm 23 years old. Everyone else is 33 and older. That's why I picked Nate Robinson because Nate Robinson still has that like bouncy athleticism, I'm sure, that uh, most people don't have in that league. Mm. Would Paul mm-hmm. Pierce be the best big three player? Because how different is his game at this point? His game was always big three. I mean, I watched. So obviously we had the Paul Pierce sort of retirement ceremony or whatever it was in Boston. And NBA.com put out the top eight plays of Paul Pierce's career. And his like rookie or second year in the league, he was throwing down dunks all over the Lakers. Mm. It's just a Paul Pierce I don't remember. I don't. He was never that dude. He, He did the surprise dunk sort of like how Steph Curry. When Steph Curry dunks. It the earth shatters because it just doesn't yeah. happen. Um, that's an intriguing big three class, man. That's it's pretty spicy. Yeah, I mean they're doing it right. Whatever they're doing out there, they're they're going all in on sort of. Um, I mean the Greg Oden is sort of like the perfect selection for what they're doing. You know, internet. It's basically like memes. They're just like getting the memeiest players they can find. Right. Yeah. There still needs to be like. They're almost too professional. Mm. They they yeah. still need sort of that oddball figure, or they need to get like President Obama in there, someone who we've heard at like Chris Brown. Chris Brown would be the perfect big three player. 
because we've heard about yeah. him being a good basketball player. We don't really know it for a fact. We've seen him in all-star games be great. Kevin Hart for two games. Let's get Kevin Hart for two games of the big three. <laughs> no. no. So, uh, here's, like, here's like sort of the perfect um, example of it. Glenn Big Baby Davis joining the team uh, of with Corey Maggette and co-captain Katino Mobley, two players that had way better, longer careers, you know, if, if less noticeable, just because Big Baby was such a, you know, just a, a hilarious person. And he's not that good, <laughs> but it's that's what you want to see, you know. It's so, the memes. How old is Big Baby now? In my head, he's probably younger than, because like he's not that. He was never that old. Um, he's sort of ageless. Let's see. I'm looking now. He's 32. Yeah. So he's not even that old. I mean, that's still yeah. NBA ready. Greg Oden's only 30. There's no Wikipedia says Big Baby is six nine. There is absolutely no shot in heck. He's you, know, you know Dante Cunningham they have listed at six eight. He looks way larger than that. He does, doesn't he? He looks way taller. But I and he but I don't. That's like a thing you don't lie about, right? Um, what are you talking about? Everyone lies about that. That's like the big. But he you would you would lie about being taller, not shorter. Unless if you're Kevin Kevin Durant is the only and Kevin Garnett are the only two people to lie and say that they are shorter than they actually are. I think I think it goes both ways. I think they can like they they overthink it, you know, like like we were talking about a moment ago, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and they go they go both ways. But um, yeah, he he definitely seems more in the six ten range to, to my eye. By the way, big baby, a New Year's Day baby, uh, Mazel Tough to him. Oh, nice. Um, um, let's get to some emails. What do you say? Yeah, you want to do a quick word from our sponsors and then take some emails? That sounds like a great plan. Let's do that right now. All right. Well, let's uh, get to some emails. Yeah, get to some emails. Um, By the way, thank you everyone for emailing because we got a ton and we love it and we appreciate it and we need it. So thank you. So this is Cheerboy Louis Torres um, <clears throat> saying... And thanks for hitting us up, Louis. Always, always a pleasure. Um, can can we? So it could, it could also be Luis Torres. I could be mixing up my Luis and my, my Luises. Sorry, everybody. Um, can we take a moment to be thankful? This time two years ago, we had a PG that had the same tiny hand size of Stormy Daniels' lover. Now that could be in reference to a lot of people because you know Stormy Daniels is in the business. Um, that being said. I think he's. <laughs> I, <laughs> that was a racy one. Should I not have let off with that one? <laughs> no, it's fine. It's funny <laughs> that you did, because that you know what that means that you did not read it ahead of time. Do you know that, or did you? No, I read it. Oh, I read okay, it, it was the most recent one. <laughs> it that's, was. That's, that's what I, I was thinking that you're just gonna like. I'm gonna go down the line here. Yes. Um. So Darren Williams, the person that you wanna. Is that what they're talking about? Does Darren Williams have small hands? Is that part of the the knock on on Darren? He would have been the point guard too, unless if it's Donald Sloan. <laughs> then Don, I don't know, but well, Donald Donald. Um, I don't know. By the way, one of my favorite things is going to posting and toasting, um, and and reading like uh, just how much vitriol they have for Jared Jack. Um, it just it just reaffirms a lot of of my personal core beliefs about basketball. Um, n- next up, your boy Sammer. What's up, Sammer? Um, Couple of questions. If you if you only had to choose one to keep on the team, regardless of contract, which point guard would you keep, D'Lo or Dinwiddie? Mike, you're gonna knock this one out of the park. I feel it. D'Angelo Russell all day, 
every day. I still ride hard for D-Lo. Time is now. He's loading. He's ready to roll. Um, love Dinwiddie. Love what he does. Love that he doesn't turn over the ball, that he's almost the opposite of D'Angelo Russell, that he, again, Dinwiddie doesn't turn over the ball. He's sort of the stable force who does hit big shots out of the end of games. But um, we're in a weird place, obviously, with D'Angelo because he is not starting. He's still coming off the bench, something that I think that needs to change. You need to start him. I think Kenny Atkinson hinted that he's going to start D'Angelo Russell soon. He's going to start playing him more with Spencer Dinwiddie. But, like, we, again, we all forget that D'Angelo was pretty talented early on and um, that he was putting up tremendous numbers early in the season and that he's slowly coming back from injury, a knee injury. This isn't like a broken hand that Kevin Love has. This is a knee injury. It does take time. Give me D'Lo. He's also three years younger, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I just looked it up. <clears throat> He'll turn 22 in February 23rd. Coming up. So so there we should have him on for his birthday. That can be his gift or our gift to him to let him come on our pod, I think, would be a nice Smart. What, what about you? D'Lo, Dinwiddie. Yeah, that's not really – it's not tricky for me. So I hate to say it, Samer. That's, that's a layup. Um, can I talk about one thing real quick, kind of interject yeah. here while we're doing Please. emails? So we found out after the trade deadline and after that we potted – that I forget if it was Woj, no, it was Zach Lowe, because I tweeted it out, and we got on Bleacher Report. Did you see that we got credited for a Zach Lowe report I on did. Bleacher Report? I did see that. Um, that was pretty. F- I appreciate Bleacher Report for doing that. They they don't have to hat tip us for that. You know, we'll we'll remove ourselves from that hat tip conversation. But what would happen was in Zach Lowe's post trade deadline podcast, he spoke with I think Brian Windhorst about how the the Cavs um, had offered the Cavaliers first round pick for Spencer Dinwiddie. And that the Nets came back with an offer that was um, basically unrealistic. That the Net, they he wouldn't name the offer, but he said uh, the Nets were asking for a lot for Dinwiddie. Um, that is, of course, you know, some people consider that as oh, the Nets are willing to deal Dinwiddie, and of course, I think they are willing to deal Dinwiddie. But when they ask for such a high offer, they're basically saying to the league, "We're not giving him up. We're not going to throw him into any deal." He is a valued asset. He's going to be a part of this team. The only reason why we would give him up is if we got, I imagine here, let me see what you think about this. I imagine if the Nets came back with a counteroffer that was classified as being asking for a lot from the Cavs, that means that the the Nets came back with give us our own first round pick back because that is the only thing. That is the only thing that the Cavs could have offered that would have been a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if, if, okay, let's live in fantasy land. If the Nets had traded Spencer Dinwiddie for their for the Nets' own first-round pick back, what is your general feeling about that? If that was the headline that you would have seen? Well, you know what's kind of interesting? Just And this is, you know, taking my, my like, to, you know, I'm, I'm just, from the emotional perspective, um, I kind of like not having this pick. There's uh, this freedom that comes with it. Then you know, if you get that pick back, it's immediately the the question of tanking comes right back in full force. Like like it like and that's you know <clears throat> maybe that's a good thing you know in terms of like the long the trajectory of the team or whatever. But um, it just feels so much purer without it. I, it's it's like a nice it's it's a it's a I, I feel so free from from that kind of conversation, especially as a person that has a podcast. That conversation just sucks. It's just so boring. 
where or when you're in the throes of like a proper tank and you're just like looking at, at like who, who like what the draft express rankings are it's like yeah yeah and and so like we this the prog the process has been talked about so much but like the more interesting thing that is happening in the nba is what the nets are doing it's that like the process is essentially um we knew this isn't a revolutionary way to build a team what the 76ers did that is a thing that had been happening before. It's just that they went to a masochistic level to build their team that way. They're willing to throw away everything in the world, all development, to just get high draft picks. What the Nets are doing is, in fact, actually trying to go to the moon. Like, this is a space yeah. race. We're trying to invent new ground. The new ground being, how can you build a team from the bottom up without draft picks, without your own draft picks, with having to take on assets, damaged assets, bad contracts to then get draft picks, to then get D'Angelo Russell. This is something that yeah. hasn't been done, built this way. There have been teams that have had their own draft picks that have built it up from the bottom ground up, but that didn't tank the whole time. Like The Rockets are constantly making their team better. They've never tanked, and they've always been able to kind of stay on a certain level, mid-tier to upper-tier. No one has been as bad as the Nets and then have taken their team from that to hopefully – a team that will at some point be in the playoffs maybe next yeah. season. Um, you want to hear my metaphor for it? Yes, please. Have you ever played the game Risk, the board game? Yes. Have you ever gotten into a situation where somebody's like basically out of the game but still hanging on? They have like maybe like they're like they've got Australia or something and like they keep just like. <laughs> it's always Australia. <laughs> and they're just like chipping off little pieces of Southeast Asia and uh, like you just can't get them out of the game. It's not worth your time to like focus in on them and like really like. Yeah, they have like four horses <laughs> so, on Indonesia. And, yeah. So they just live and die in these tiny little victories in, in Southeast <laughs> Asia. That's where we are right now. We're just living and dying. Just trying to get up that uh, that East Asia coast. That's That's all we're into. We're going to get into India at some point. And it'll be great, but nobody... <laughs> we're never going to win the game that way. Yeah, but we're just... <laughs> the game will be over before everyone will get tired of it and flip the board before that happens. But, um, yeah, these tiny victories, you know. Yeah, and, and, and it does help that. So I think we do have an email, right, about someone asking about what Mark said. Um, sure. Let me pull it up. Um, I, 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 will, I mean, I'll go on the record by saying, as Brian looks this up, that uh, if the Nets had gotten their own first-round pick back... For Spencer Dinwiddie, I'd be all in on that. Again, love Spencer. Don't like tanking. But the Nets are so close to having the worst record in the NBA. There's about seven teams that are within two wins of each other. The Nets are one of those teams. And wins being, you know, they can easily not win any more games for the rest of the season. Um, if the Nets had somehow squeaked out their own first-round pick, it wasn't going to happen. But if they could have, for Spencer Dinwiddie, and even I would have thrown in, gosh, I would even be tempted to throw in Karis LeVert and Dinwiddie for their own first-round pick. I know everyone will hate that. But if they had been able to do that and then tanked and gotten, you know, DeAndre Ayton or Mo Bamba or Trey Young or any Luka Doncic, any of those dudes, I would be all, all in. But it didn't happen. So I think the as a military helicopter flies right past my window um, – <laughs> <laughs> I think um oh so if if this is the one you're talking about from Cherboy Jack Manuel um hey lads just wondering on your thoughts in relation to the comments Sean Marks made about not tanking next season when we have our own pick do you agree with Marks or is it short-sighted of him to say that cheers Jack Manuel co-host of the Brooklyn Buzz podcast and JBT 
Um, so check check those out for your boy. Um, so do I think it's short sighted if they don't tank next season? I don't. Know. I well, I guess. I mean, here's the. It, it, this is a long on where you're not allowed to talk about the tanking that you're doing, right? There's there's that element to this. Good point. Yes. So let's let's assume he's being, you know, authentic when he says this, and not the you know duplicitous way that everyone has talked about this in the past. Um, because if he, as you point out, if he had come out and said, "Oh yeah, so next year when we have our pick, we're we're gonna suck and not play basketball well," um, that would have been shocking. Especially right now, I don't know if this is sort of the time of the year when um, the Nets hit people up for renewals of season tickets. I got a call from the Nets because I got a four-game package once. I got a call from the Nets at seeing if I wanted a full-season package for next year. Um, Marks is aware of that, and but do you, I guess do you believe in Marks that they're not going to tank next season? I don't think. I mean, I mean, do I do? You saying do I believe him? Yeah. Um. Yeah, I believe him. I mean, <clears throat> it, it won't. Look, depending on what the summer looks like, um, we're, I mean, look, we, how far are we out of a potential first-round pick, as is everyone keeps talking about us being certain, like, but we're pretty close to being in the, in the like, top three lottery, right? I mean, let's see where our well, standings we're, are. We're very close to being the top three lottery, but they're also very close to being the eighth pick. Um, right. I, so, because I think the, the team with the least amount of wins is something like the Magic or the Hawks or something like that, and they have... Yeah, it's Magic Hawks with 18. We have 19 wins. There's actually a ton of teams with 18 wins. They're yeah. Memphis, Sacramento, Dallas, Phoenix. And so what's going to be interesting, obviously, this has been a, the worst losing streak of the season for the Nets, the worst streak overall. But all of those teams and the Knicks, who the Knicks just lost to the Wizards. The Knicks had like a 27-point lead, and they lost to the Wizards last night. Um, um, by the way, what's going on with the Wizards winning games without John Wall? Like my my fan, my fantasy squad, Otto Porter and Bradley Beal, also on my fantasy squad, are just killing it right now. Is is everything working better without John Wall? What's going on, Mike? Tell me. I'm I'm pretty excited about that. I love John Wall and I love what he does for the team. But like, I hope it shows there was always an element, and this is with any team, dominant ball handler. Like you feel like you depend on them so much. It's sort of like. Um, like if you relied on your mom to cook dinner every night and then she goes on vacation and you're left without that provider of food for everyone to eat, you, someone has to fill in the gap and it ends up being everyone go, pitches in a little bit more. You Mike, know? is what you're talking about addition by subtraction? Is that is that what you're referencing? There's a little element of let's let's remove the one dominant thing in our in our life, which is John Wall's ball handler. Remove him from the equation. Everyone else has to eat. Everyone else has to feed. They have to hunt. Um, so I'm hoping that when John Wall comes back, that he sees all this happening. And he's like, you know what? Actually, maybe I don't have to be Mr. Dominant Ball Handler all the time. Maybe I can be part of an overall t- team framework, even though I don't believe that's going to happen. I think he's going to go back to being Ball Dominant John, um, which is fine. It's, you know, They've gone pretty far with that, but they're better without him. Um, What's interesting about next draft is that allegedly it's not as good as this one. I mean, we've been in this thing before, right, where everyone hypes up a draft, then it's actually not as good. And then the one next year everyone says is really crappy. But then it's actually, oh, no, it is really good. Um, 
You know that there's like a dude I already want in the next draft. I want Zion Williamson. I want him on in my life, on my team, watching him every night. Uh, mm-hmm. But I don't – for the larger question, can the Nets tank? I honestly don't know what the appetite would be with the fan base if they just decided to tank next season. I don't think that they can suddenly <clears throat> turn this ship around, this progress ship that they're on, to then tank. Because then you're then you're – they have too many young players that are improving to decide. Yeah, say, I mean, like, let's let's talk specifics. What does tanking look like? Are we straight up benching like our only good player, like D'Angelo Russell and Karis LeVert, are also guys who was like progress we depend upon for any kind of future success? Like all of our assets are all of our like anything that's worth anything, like any valuable player is like a guy who's in their early twenties that like we really need to make leaps and bounds if we're ever going to be good. So tanking is in that case like if we're going to just play Dante Cunningham you know, all, all, all live long day. Like, um, you're going to have riots in the street, Mike. Yeah. And, and so like, I, I could see something happening where like, let's say we get to next season and the records, the exact same as it is right now at this point in the next season. Right. So let's say they're this close to being a, a really high draft pick. They have their own draft pick. I could see some situation where they decide, you know what, let's not push super hard to keep winning every game. Let's do something a little bit different. But there's in no way are they going to tank going into next season. You know what I mean? Like they're not going to begin the season by tanking. They may get to a point in the season, the end of next season, where they decide, you know, we probably should tank because we we can. Moving from seven to three in a bad draft means a lot more than moving seven to three in a good draft in terms of draft pick. Um, but like you would be ruining D'Angelo Russell's progress, Lavert's progress, Jared Allen's progress. Three to four players' progress would be ruined, Dinwiddie's, for getting a slightly higher pick. Um, I am interested to see what the form of tank would also take would be to trade Spencer Dinwiddie and to trade Levert, maybe. To trade guys that are sort of part of the rebuild and to trade them now to then get like the Zion Williamson what is it like there's cam reddish or cj reddish there's a there's a canadian who's supposed to be really good next season um yeah cool um next up your boy lou estevez um lou you have you've just given me so much joy um over the years and and thank you for your um long-standing fandom of the show um he had a quite you had a question about um software hardware advice for starting a pod but i can't i went through the emails and i couldn't find it so you gotta remind me what that is by the way forgive me for never like actually responding to people's emails i only do it on the show that's sort of my policy (laughs) that's that's what it's all about um next up uh or sorry uh and his question is about crabs resurgence um the crab blanche and he said uh i was wondering if you guys think this is regression to the mean um, and like, basically, do you, do you think this is a streaky blip or if this is something that, um, you can depend on? Like, I mean, uh, obviously too early to say for me, from my perspective, but, um, that there is the possibility of having breakout games now is a amazing sign. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Do you have a hot take on this? Do you, well, are you, do you a crab believer now? Do you have, um, what's your theory on, so this happened right before the all-star break, right? So what's your theory on being, does him having this confidence going into the break, is that a better thing? Because then he's like, okay, 
He can reset himself. He saw recent positive signs from his own game, right? Like he, he going into the break, is it a good thing that this streak is happening now and that then he can rest and be like, okay, now I'm super focused for the end of the year? Or is it a bad thing because he is hot and then he's not going to play basketball for a week? Like what what could be what is is it good or bad to be doing this before the All-Star break, do you think? Um I I don't know. Um I don't know what the timing is for, for this guy. He's he's all over the place. What I what I will say, there's a couple of encouraging things that I've seen. Just one simple play, but he broke down Boyan Bogdanovic, a person who you could very easily break down, um and like had a pretty easy like <clears throat> layup. Um and that's something that um I I'm very encouraged to see, you know, Boyan Bogdanovich, a guy who's basically known for having zero lateral movement, saw it, diagnosed it, and went in on it um, without without a conscience, as, as he would say. Um, those are the kinds of things that suggest to me that there's more going on there than just a confidence level at the three-point line. Um, there is a, you know, a, a risk-reward analysis going on with with plays beyond that. Um, so I I would say that, like, yeah, regression to the mean probably with with a little bit of of zip on it. Like like we were saying, anything below a fifteen points per game season for him is would be considered a failure. Like based on like his where he was at and what his track is, um, and now he's at twelve and a half points per game. So this is like a pretty miserable season thus far for him. Yes. Um, it is expected that there will be some improvement, but. <sighs> I don't know. I'm I'm going to need a little bit more body of work. I'm going to need a couple of more weeks before I really, really get to weigh in on my thoughts on Alan Crabbe. I'm really got to see him, you know, with clear eyes. Yeah, I really need a month in that that much. I need a month of good crab, of good yeah. tasting crab to really uh, appreciate and, and to not consider this crab trade kind of a disaster because I still believe the amount of cap space and capital that they gave up. Like, you know, they the the Nets could have not that you wanted Jordan Clarkson, but the Nets could have been players for the Jordan Clarkson, Larry Nance dump. Um, you know, they they could have been players for several other sort of salary dump type trades where they would have gotten first round picks, would have gotten assets of some kind. Alan Crabb took you out of that. So Alan Crabb needs to be good. Um he cannot be he's not even like I think he's maybe an average three point shooter in terms of his percentage right now. So I need a month of, uh, you know, above forty percent from three to like be like, okay, there's there's Alan Crab. That's the guy that they're paying money towards and wasting assets on. Let's let's see a little bit more from him. Uh, but it's all it's it. But it is encouraging that through this losing streak, at least we've had this this new development. We, this is something new that we haven't seen this season. Um, can we also talk about the fact that Jared Allen is like. Basically going to be an 80% free throw shooter. Who would have saw that coming? I'm telling you, man. Like, it's insane the growth from beginning of the season when he didn't really f- look comfortable setting picks. And now he's doing it without people telling him to set a pick, you know. And he looks like the sort of that four-year vet, that guy who's now comfortable setting picks. Um, mm-hmm. He's a little tougher than I thought. He's a better Did shooter. Make- um, I mean, how many guys... How many John Henson's out there shoot above like sixty five percent? It's just huge that he um, that he can do that. So yeah, I mean, that's um, the biggest Achilles heel for all these screen and roll centers, right? The fact that they can't shoot free throws, the fact that he is showing he can um, elevates him in a different class already, which is massive. 
Yes. Yes, it is. Um, Cheer boy Ronald Kaplan, harping on the lack of defense, says it's alarming. Even guys like Allen, who can who were considered defensive specialists, don't play defense anymore. By the way, I love Ronald Kaplan. I there's uh, just the the vibe I get from him is just such like um like a Jersey dad, Jersey dad vibe. It just brings me back. It just brings me back to yeah. That, that those are um, your roots. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Rajon Rondo barely scores a point versus anybody other than the Nets. I know Atkinson always gets a pass, but a team uh, deficient of talent should focus on slowing down the game, not speeding it up. Nobody can guard a pick and roll. Nobody besides Dinwiddie seems to care if they win or lose. Um, I am a long time suffering net fan and finding your pot has been the highlight of another <laughs> terrible season. Uh, P.S. I beg you, no more Dinwiddie trade talks. Too late. I think Mike already snuck some in there. And it's going to be happening this offseason because I don't <laughs> think that Mark's, Mark's will consider Dinwiddie trade. That's going to happen. Um, anyways, thank you, Ron. Um, finding you has been a highlight of, of this pod season for us. Um, Rajon Rondo had a big game against us. That's true. Um, do we read into that? It used to be that our Achilles heel was more like the Dina, the Nikola Jokic's and, uh, you know, three-point shooting, passing big men. Uh, Vucevic, um, even Brooke Lopez has his only good games of the season against us. Well, like Al Jefferson, I think played eight minutes and scored, you know, twelve yeah, points or a billion points. Yeah. Um, by the so way, like, by the way, I think yeah. what it, we we didn't even really talk about this, but like the Pacers were one of the teams that was rumored to be interested in Damari Carroll. Um, it would have been interesting, obviously, last night if we had traded Damari Carroll and gotten something from the Pacers, and he would have been coming back and being the Nets. Um, and that kind of goes back to your point of how I think ultimately why they didn't make a Damari Carroll trade is because. We mentioned this before, the Howard Beck tweet um, that Kenny Atkinson would, jokingly, he said Kenny Atkinson would quit if he lost Carroll. And you talk about Booker and Zeller. If this mm-hmm. team had removed Damari Carroll, even if had gotten a nice first-round pick for him, I don't know how many games this team would have won for the rest of the year. It just would have been, he's so important to at least stabilizing them on some sense. He just mm. does he does enough of the little stuff. He scores enough. He gets enough rebounds. He plays good defense. If they had removed him, then gosh, I think they uh, they may the Nets maybe have won five more games for the rest of the year. Not that they're yeah. going to win a heck of a lot more with him, but we need to do some important. more Damari Carroll appreciation on this spot, I feel like. I mean, you've been you've been banging that drum for a little bit, but I need to I need to get on board with it because you're right. There's just never been a moment where I've been like, okay, enough Damari Carroll. Right, I'm, I'm always just like more. Give me more. Yes, I want more. Yes, 100. Yeah. percent Um, so anyway, so what Ronald uh, keying in on what Ronald's saying here? Um, do you think that, I mean, guard specifically guard play against us hasn't been like noticeably an issue? I mean, I'm sure if I could dig into the stats a little bit more closely, there might be some kind of pattern I could I could construe there. But, um, yeah, I mean, like. <sighs> Yes and no, you know, it's like, um, look, this is the thing with playing guys like Jared Allen and Julie Locafor and these project guys. Um, they're not good at team defense. That's, that's the whole, that's the whole reason why you don't just play your rookies as many minutes as they can possibly handle, you know, because that costs you in many ways. Um, so, you know, you want to get a good look at Jared Allen and I think you're right that his, his rotations are like, you know, they're basically their sole purpose is to result in a block, which 
not not a super conservative way to play defense probably um and also like bigger guys really just like want to go at jared allen because his his, like he's just not he's not strong enough um right now and that's you know that's part of the like the long the the you know the long view goals like do we want to play jared allen 30 minutes and have him get roasted by you know zach randolph or whatever or um do we want you know, do we want to see what he'll look like by the time he's 22? Is he going to learn to take those lumps and adapt or, you know, so, I mean, yes and no. Like I, I think that, um, I think you could, I think you could argue on it for either side, but the Rajon Rondo thing, like, I don't know. I think that feels like a one-off to me, but I, I would, I would say it's probably, you know, there's a, a pretty palpable lack of talent and that also should be, you know, you could say that, like talent is mostly an offensive thing, but I, I, I would not argue that. I think, I think talent kind of goes to both sides of the floor. I don't know. What do you think? And I think, so like, I think Dinwiddie obviously has the skills to be a good defender. D'Lo, I don't think it's ever going to be there for him. He just doesn't have interest in it. I'm not saying he's a bad, he's not the, the, the classically bad sort of scoring guard in the terms of James Harden, but it's not yeah. there. He just doesn't care enough. Well, the reason why D'Angelo Russell is so good at offense is not because of his speed and athleticism. It's because he's deceptive. He's got good balance, and he does interesting things. He puts the balls. He uh, he holds it out in weird places, right? And, right. Um, and he can make shots. Um, nothing about what he does on offense suggests to me that you can just translate that to defense. There's nothing about his game that seems obvious. And then that's the same thing with James Harden. Like, I, there's no reason to suspect that a guy can just be good at defense because he's so good at offense. Well, and it's like, so his, what makes him unique offensively, as you said, is the angles that he kind of plays at and that he is a little bigger for a point guard so he, and a ball right. handler. So he does he has that advantage. But because he doesn't have elite speed or whatever – on defense, he is then also playing point guards who maybe don't have his skill as a point guard, but then they're relying on, like, they're like the Darren Collison type. They're just, like, pure speed dudes. Yeah. They're super fast. So that, like, his skill actually puts him at a disadvantage on defense. Totally. I mean, there's just not, like, like I don't <clears> – <throat> I see them as very sort of, like, flat-footed guys. Like, D'Angelo Russell and James Harden are lateral movers. They're flat-footed. They they, ha- they they operate on the x-axis, not the y-axis. So, um, like, expecting them to be, like, really challenging a jump shooter with, like, you know, leaping out of the building and blocking shots or anything like that, um, you know, you're, you're leaving a lot of those things on the table by playing um, – them for their offensive capability you know it's not like a you know they're not michael jordan kobe bryant style like super athletes that just can guard anyone at any size um so so yeah so yes and no i mean there's like a million other players that we could kind of like key in on more um and maybe we'll do that down the line but point well taken ronald um let's move on what do you think what was it was it in the pelicans game where damari got fouled brutally at the end of the game i think it was the pelicans because the Nets almost won the Pelicans. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the one that they, they um, the what is it, L2M? I don't even know. What does that stand for? The last two minutes report. Oh, yeah. Last um, two minutes. And Damari <laughs> was, yeah, so I think the score what was the score was tied. Damari was in the paint, driving to the hoop, and he just gets clawed in his arm. They don't call anything. I'm telling you, there are, I mean, you don't want to be like this because I'm sure you could do this for every team that doesn't win a lot of games. There are so many moments. But there are so many moments with this Nets team, that they are so close to winning the game or being up near the end of the game, and then they don't get a foul call or or just a weird turn of the ball happens. You know, second-chance points by the other teams. I feel like the Nets, at the end of games, give those up more than anyone else. Um, that, that, that not – I mean, that was like 
We've complained about calls before in the past, but that non-call on Damari in that Pelicans game was horrible. I mean, that was that was the classic guy getting slapped on his arm, ball popping out. In the because like there's a way a ball pops out when a guy gets hit in the arm. You know, it's like it spins rotationally, like the guy's spinning it in a way because his hand is literally being grabbed back and taking around the ball. It's spun like, spun like a globe. Oh, that spins rotationally. (laughs) Refs should be trained to see it spins rotationally. Yes, Uh, redundant, redundant. Um, It it spins in a way that is obvious that a guy got fouled. Not that it was blocked out of his hands. When a ball is usually blocked out of someone's hands, it kind of goes like a knuckle. It goes straight out. There's no rotation on the ball because it's getting hit out. If you're getting fouled, your hand that is getting fouled turns the ball like a curveball, Brian. And the mm. refs, the refs hate the Nets. That's what it is. The refs. Bottom hate the line. Nets. I'm saying it. Bottom line. By the way, um, did last... you see um, the Laura Holtkamp, the female ref, who has a great haircut? By the way, she's married to another ref. Did you know that? They got. Um, they got. I did ma- not know that. They got married recently. Um, congrats How do you feel to them. About that. I I love that. They should Mazel. be a reality show. Mazel. Mazel uh, to him. Give him some mazels. Mazel. I was at a uh I was I was thinking about this. Um I was at a at a wedding not too long ago and they did the plate plate breaking thing, miffed it. Beefed on the on the plate break. Foot slid off. Oh you didn't mean, break first go. Had you to, mean, had to you take mean the cup? It was a plate. It was like a plate. Or is it not a plate? No, it's usually like a uh wine glass what you mean like when they say at the end of the wedding you may kiss the bride then they put the cup on the ground and a a napkin they they used a straight up dinner plate on this thing maybe that's why was this after the like after the vows right after the vows it was right after the vows they said the vows and bang they do the thing yeah it should be a cup they did a plate wow there's your mistake that's what they did wrong (laughs) you remember do you remember what i did what happened with me no what'd you do I, I didn't the first try I did not get the cup. You missed? I uh, well I hit the cup but I got it in the point of my shoe where like there's the heel and then the slight indent and then yeah. the rest of your foot. I got it right in that crucial crux <laughs> and uh it's pretty oh, embarrassing. Boy. It's there's very few things that are as emasculating as like not being able to crush the glass in the first try. Well that's what you get for wearing four inch shields on your wedding day. <laughs> Um, I got to get my Marco Rubio on, kid. (laughs) Next up, cheer boy. Last but not least, Jim Nosidus. Nosidus. Um, Thanks for hitting us up. Everybody, netspod at gmail.com. We love you guys. Uh, And if I didn't get to your emails, I'm sorry. Um, Keep keep them coming. We just, you know, what are we going to do? This recent skin, this is also just parlaying off of what Ron was saying. Um, This recent skin has really been due to a lack of stops on the defensive end. Have we all underrated Ron Day and his impact on defense? I worry about paying him his next contract because his absence has really been noticeable during the stretch. I would also add to that Karis LeVert, who I think is a very, very skilled defender. Um, Just just makes a lot of smart decisions on defense. Um, So you can also say, hey, Ronald Kaplan, check out the disabled list right now because two of our best defenders are parked their tuchuses are parked on the bench um with with groin injuries <laughs> um no is Karis Levert has what, what did he have a um concussion or something i don't even know it, the, that's the thing about the nets injuries is that they actually yeah. sit players for injuries so like it's not like yeah. the knee injury with De- d'angelo it's it could be an ankle it could be a wrist they just whatever they don't they care yeah. but i don't care 
um, yeah. yeah, so we kind of were talking about this earlier. Um, we talk about the next man up mentality with this team, but in fact, it probably does matter for a team that does lack talent to have all its talented players actually playing. It's been pretty rare this season when they've had, you know, full systems a go. I'm not even counting Jeremy Lin, uh, by the way, who will be back with the Nets uh, next season. Mm-hmm. Mazel to Jer- Jeremy Lin and us. Mazel. Mazel. I'll break a plate for you. Uh, um, yeah, like, I think it maybe matters that Karis LeVert, who's, what, the third best player on this team? Sure, uh, why not? Let's... Or or Rondé, the fifth mm-hmm. best player on this team, everyone want to rank them, um, are not playing. That's That's a problem for this team, and specifically on defense, where Rondé does a lot of good things, gets a lot of deflections, that Karis LeVert is a lanky athletic defender, that he's being replaced by you know, guys who aren't as adept at him on, as on defense. So, you know. you, you said it, Doug. I'm not worried about it. Everyone else, you know, every, like, guys, we've, we've been through this. We know the deal. It's going, it's, the progression is a sawtooth. You know, we're in a little bit of a cavern right now, but it's always moving up and to the right, you know. We'll, we'll be there. So long, so long as management and coaching and developing keeps going in the direction it's going. And, like, look, Alan Crabb seems to be breaking out of his shell. Um, look at you go. Are you the first person there. to say that? No, I'm just kidding. Is that the first person to say yeah. that? Um, Anyways, um, yeah, so lots of lots to look forward to. Everyone stay happy. Stay safe out there. Um, Mike, do you want to? Do you have anything else you want to add? Do you have some news around the league? No, no news around the league. Well, we got the All-Star break coming up. We'll dissect that. We may have a special guest on Tuesday when we next pod. Um, oh, also, just just a for, fair warning, like, <clears throat> if your question is going to be about All-Star stuff, I think our policy this year is just going to be like, I don't want to talk about it. I don't. Yeah. Is it? It's just so. What about um, that? Anything about the game, the weekend? I just, I, pro- I probably won't be watching it. And there's, if I am, it'll be because like, I'm at like a, like it's, it'll happen. It'll happen to me. Not because I made it happen. You know, you know, like the only thing I really care about seeing is a couple of the dunks. I care slightly about the celebrity game, celebrity game. I care more about than the actual all-star game. The, all-Star game itself is dulled by so many injuries that happened and the fact that they did not televise the draft. If they, if tonight, today is Thursday, if they had televised the draft tonight, I would be all in. I'd be just digging it. I'd be eating it up like a bowl of ice cream. Um, See, I just, I just don't really understand why it's as popular as it is. I, th- I get the sense that it's not that popular. Everyone kind of bemoans it, and rightfully so. I mean, it's not basketball. Like we, we like to watch basketball because the because of the basketball, right? Um, or it's not like you go to a basketball game and like, oh, cool. Like, how was the halftime show? Like, what was your like emotional investment with the halftime show? Did you, did you like that? You know, that's the circus around it. That's the pageantry that I really dislike about basketball. I almost feel like they should change the dates of when these things are happening. Like flip flop, I think the All Star Game should be the Saturday event, as sort of the warm up to the three point shooting and the dunk contest. Move dunk contest, three point shooting, all that crap to Sunday, because I care more about that. I don't really care about it, but I care more about that. Um, yeah, it's, it's more exciting because once you get through the weekend of All Star Weekend, you watch. There's all this stuff on Friday, Saturday, and by the time you get to Sunday. The energy's lower. The people don't care as much. The best energy is at the end of the skills competition dunk contest when you have people sitting on the bench. You have all the celebrities there. Totally great vibe. Um, the actual game itself is low energy. 
and you end All-Star Weekend on a low note by having the game because it's low energy. It just doesn't mm. – there's no vibe to it. Mm. My prediction, though, is that the game will actually be good this year. Um, I am kind of convinced that these players are pretty smart and that they'll – they, they will have made the decision at some point this weekend to be like, we're going to give it our all for the last six minutes of this game. <laughs> I believe that. What are, you, what are you basing that on? I just I feel it. It's a vibe thing, Bri. It's in the okay. air. You know what I'm saying? I, I know not to question your vibes. They're they're often dead on. Brian Shall don't we? kill my vibe. Yes. <laughs> um Netsdaily.com, Almighty Baller Podcast Network. iTunes ratings, five stars. Mike, do we want them or do we need them? We need them. Yeah, we need them. Um it is the cheapest way to help the show, honestly, if you want to to uh to see this project go up and into the stratosphere. Those really do help move the needle. Um anyways, that's my that's my bit. Uh netspot at gmail.com for MP3s and emails. Um goodbye everybody. Mike, take us out. Bye. Yeah, boy.